I think it is extremely important to uh, keep in mind uh, throughout our service that you know, God is moving and speaking, and I think very clearly during worship, uh, it was just a think clear impression, the importance of us to remember the power of the name of Jesus, the trust in that name, as well as to be thankful in every circumstance, in all circumstances, to be thankful. And so I, I think that was a, a key part of what God was impressing upon us as we were singing to Him and giving back to Him in, in worship this morning. So I pray that will stay with us as we go through the sermon today, but also as we are um, as we go throughout our week and as we continue um, to um, live together in, in our Christian walk. Father, I do ask this morning, as, as Clay prayed, um, I do ask God for your help. I do ask God that you would energize our spiritual man, our souls, open our eyes and our ears. I pray that you would give us zeal for your word. I pray that you would captivate us by what you have to say to us today, that we would be willingly taught and that you would teach us i pray god that that you would transform us by uh, by your word and by its application from your spirit i ask the lord for an utterance of wisdom and i pray god that you would help us to avoid distraction help our minds to be sober and focused God, help our hearts to be in tune to what you are saying. God, help us to put aside things that we may be worried about or excited about, God, the, 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 the temptation for the enemy to come and to, to, to take our minds away from what you are wanting to say. I ask that you'd protect us from those things today, God, that this would not simply be a practical time, but that we would see the spiritual nature of you speaking to us and us hearing and knowing that that is a spiritual reality that the enemy fights against. And so I pray that we would do all that we can to listen, receive, and learn. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I told you last week, we're in this new series with the beginning stages. There's about a dozen sermons in this series on the family of God. And I told you last week that nine of those 12 are, are what I would call instructional. They have uh, instruction f- instructions for us about how we live together as the people of God. But the first few of these sermons are foundational. The first three, as a matter of fact, are foundational. So God isn't merely commanding us how to treat one another in the church and live together in the church, although He could do that. He would be within His right to do that. But as we learned last week, Jesus teaches us that those who abide in Him are His friends. And He tells His friends what His Father is doing. And He tells His friends what He has heard from His Father. So We are not just told what to do, but we are explained by Christ in the Word. He explains to us why these instructions are given to us, why they are important, why we should listen to them, why we should try to live together in this way. And so He reveals to us the intricate design that He has for the church. And so that's what we're trying to do at the beginning of the series is lay this foundation of this intricate design, understanding what God is doing in His design of the church so that we then understand why He's given us the instructions that He has for us to live out. So the first layer of that foundation in week one, the big word that we studied was fellowship, koinonia in the Greek. And the concept of fellowship is that there is an eternal relationship that exists between God the Father God the Son, and God the Spirit. And when we come to know Christ, when we believe upon Him, we are invited or received or welcomed into that fellowship. That fellowship that was not created for us, we are welcomed into it when we are born-again Christians. And, and because we're all welcomed into it, we are all bound together in that fellowship. That's the picture. And so that's the primary relational goal that we should have in the church. 
The word koinonia means participate in a common life together. That's the number one relational goal in the church. Everything else that happens, friendships and connections and encouragement, all those things are great. But the primary goal we have in the church is to grow together in fellowship. And then the second layer of our foundation was last week, and it was from the Gospel of John. And what we learned there is about that common life that we're all sharing. Jesus gives us the imagery of this fellowship by describing a vine. And He says that He is the vine and that His Father is the vine dresser. And anyone who is a believer, they're joined into that fellowship by being grafted into it as a branch. So that's the imagery of fellowship. God the Father is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches grafted into the vine. And so the Father cares for us the same as He cares for the vine, the way He cares for His own Son. So every one of us, if we're a believer, if we're in the vine, we are under the watchful care of the Father. And the Son is constantly giving life to the branches. So what I talked about last week is the primary goal of the Christian life is not do, it's be. It's be in the vine. Rest in the vine. Remain in the vine. Stay close to Jesus. If you do that, if I do that as, as Christians, then Jesus produces life in us. He bears fruit in us and through us. That's the call of the Christian life. You and I would seek to ask Jesus to give us His life. Very mysterious, but very practical. That we should increase our time and our depth in prayer, asking Jesus to give us His very life that we may live that. To read our Bible, to submit to the Word, to repent, to forgive, to be a bold witness, and to love all from the life of Jesus. Not doing those things in our own power, but asking Him to help us do those things. And so what we learned last week is that's the picture of fellowship and all of these branches are grouped together. And that is the church. And if Christ loves His church, then the branches will love one another. Because if the life of Christ is in the branch, then each branch will love. They will love not just the Father, but they will love one another. I think that is exactly why John says, later in some of his writings, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother or sister, the love of God is not really in you. It, is, it makes no sense, it is, it is not sensical to believe that you can live a Christian life where you're abiding in Jesus and His love is in you, but then you hate the church. Because if His love is in you, then His love for the church will be in you. That's the picture. So those are the two layers of our foundation so far. And today we're going to place this third and final layer of this foundation. And it is from 1 Corinthians 12. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it is also an illustration of fellowship. Koinonia. That we are welcomed into. But this time it's not a vine. It's not the imagery of a vine. It's the imagery of a body. And this teaching carries with it an emphasis on how God has carefully designed and sovereignly placed us together for His good purposes. So we have this big picture idea of fellowship. That's the church. That's what we aim for, koinonia. We are to share common life. We do that by abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus, receiving His life together. Loving each other the way that He loves us because His love is in us. And then today we're going to see this foundation of how God has carefully designed us to be together like different parts of a body. And this is the imagery of fellowship. So if you have a Bible, please take that out. If for any reason you do not have one this morning, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, we'd love to gift you one. They're on the back table, so you can pick one of those up. And if you have one of the worship guides, and you're a note taker, and you would like to participate, um, follow along with notes, you can grab your worship guide out. 
And in just a moment, we'll have some blanks to fill in as we go through these messages, excuse me, these, uh, these verses together. So let's start. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to walk through the first uh, few verses, verse 12 through 14, just looking at the beginning of this text and what Paul says. So verse 12, he starts painting this picture of fellowship. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, when he says, so also is Christ, the inference there is, so is also the body of Christ. What is he referring to there? He's referring to the church. If you look down, if you have a Bible, look at verse 27, and he makes this really clear. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So he's talking to the church, and he refers to the church as the body of Christ. So here's his comparison. He starts with something that we all know and understand, our physical bodies. You really think about your physical body. It is made up of many, many, many different parts. Parts you can see and those that are underneath your skin that you cannot see. And each one of those parts, they're different. They have different names. If you could see them all, they, they have different appearance, and they have different functions. Many, many, many different parts, but they're all part of one whole body. We don't think of ourselves as divided into parts. It's just our body. Okay, we don't, that's, that's just how we live. So right now, I am moving my arm up and down. Probably looks very silly, right? There's all kinds of different parts that are making that possible. It's not just my hand, not just my fingers, it's not just my elbows, not just ligaments and muscles and cells. It's all of those things. And I'm, I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing. We don't, we don't, we don't say, okay, now move my index finger. We just do it like our, the, the, all these things that I don't even know how to describe are firing off in our brain and it's just happening. It's just working. And that's how we think of ourselves. One whole body, but we're made up of all of these different parts. And Paul says, okay, that's the church. That's what I want you to know. That's the church. You are the body of Christ. You are all together as a body, and you are individual members of it. You're individual parts. God doesn't just save groups of people. He saves individuals. But then He unites them together so closely in intricate detail that it is like they are one. That is what the church is supposed to be. And if you carry out the illustration, 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, in that illustration, Christ is the head. Christ is the head of the body. He's the source of it all. All right, so just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though they are many, great in quantity, they are one body, so also is the body of Christ. He's going to explain it a little bit more. Verse 13. How did this happen? For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. All right, so what he's talking about there is when we were saved. The baptism of one spirit, I don't believe he's talking there about water baptism, which I do believe the Bible calls us to follow through with when we are, we're a believer. But the baptism I think he's talking about is from John 3, where Jesus says, you must be born again. And in John 3, Jesus says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And it's a picture from the Old Testament of what God said He would do in the new covenant salvation, that He would cleanse us of our sins, and He would give us a new heart by the power of the Spirit. He would put His Spirit in us. So I believe the being baptized by one Spirit is that picture of us being saved when we come to believe upon Jesus and being given one spirit to drink. Remember when Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and I will give them a drink. I will satisfy them. He's talking about spiritual thirst. When you thirst spiritually for Jesus, the Spirit of God will give you a drink. He will satisfy your thirst. That's the picture. 
And so Paul is saying, when this happened, when we were baptized by one Spirit into one body and we were all given one Spirit to drink, when we were saved, if you have come to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you are following Him as Lord, then what has happened is the Spirit of God has brought you into one body. And why that is important is this. That is what we would call an objective reality. It's not a subjective truth. It's an objective reality. That means it is true whether you like it or not. It's not true for some people and and not for others. When you are saved, you are joined to the church. You are joined into the body of Christ. Whether we rejoice in that or whether we don't, Whether we like that or we don't, whether we live into that or we don't, we are part of the body. That's the picture because it is something that Christ has done to us by the Spirit. We're the branch grafted into the vine. This is part of the deal. This is, this is part of following Him. I've said it to you so many times. We live in an incredible country with lots of freedoms, but one of the things that it has taught us is the importance of individuality and being able to make your own decisions. The church, though, the church, the gospel teaches us that we are not just individual Christians that kind of show up together every now and then when when it meets our schedule or, or just so we can say we're going to a building and spending some time with people. No, you are put into a community. You are grafted into the vine. That's the reality, and that's what we're supposed to live out. That's the picture. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, Jews or Greeks, in that day, that would be a designation that is a racial or ethnic designation. What he is saying there is no matter what nationality, what race you are from, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever your background, we're all brought into one body. Whether slaves are free, in that day that would be your standing in society. Whether you are a free person who could do that which you choose, or whether you are a bondservant who was working off a debt to someone else, and that was a, a designation in that society. Today, whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you're a business owner or a doctor or an electrician or you're homeless, the body of Christ is made up of all of these different distinctions. The reason that is important is because we're one body and we have a tendency to divide ourselves down some of those lines. We have a tendency to divide ourselves. We have a tendency to put certain designations first. Here's what Paul says. You are not first an American. You're first a Christian. You are not first white. You are first a Christian. You are not first rich. You are first a Christian. That's the picture. That's the designation that matters. Becoming a Christian doesn't neutralize those earthly distinctions, but it limits their importance because God is bringing a diverse group of people together. And what is really important for us to understand is there is never, 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 never a moment in the church that we treat someone differently because of these things. Because of their background or their skin color or their standing in society. We don't favor people. We don't undermine people in the church because of those things. We are together one body. That's the picture. In verse 14, Indeed, the body is not one part, but it is many, many parts. That's the picture. We are one, but we're different. We are so used to being one with people who are like us. We are so used to being joining with people that that have the same interest we do, the same personalities we do, the same life season that we are in. That's, just, that's our makeup. We find people that are like us, and we say, okay, that's my people, and that's who I'm going to be with. And Paul's like just completely undoing that and saying, no, in the church, it's not like that. You're different, but you're one. You are different, but you're brought together in one body. 
So live that way. Think that way. And because we're all different, but we're one, and because this is happening in a fallen world among fallen people, there are challenges to that. When we start trying to move away from how the world creates community and unity, which is likeness, and we start trying to follow what Jesus says about the church, which is being united in spite of our differences, it presents challenges. And so Paul addresses a couple of those challenges, which, by the way, tells us they were challenges even in his, in his day. It's not just things we're dealing with in 2023 America, but it was problems that was happening in the first century church. So in your notes, if you're a note taker, challenge number one that Paul addresses is this. And I'll give you the fill in the blank in just a moment. But here's challenge number one. Challenge number one is that you would find yourself as part of the body, but you start comparing yourself to others and you think of yourself as useless. That's the first challenge. That you're in the body, you start looking around, you see other people in the body of Christ, you see what they're doing, you see their makeup, and then you tell yourself, you know what, I'm not really part of this, or I'm pretty useless. And that is exactly what Paul addresses in verses uh, 15, 16, and 17. So in your notes, here is how Paul addresses it. Here's the truth that Paul gives to that idea. He says each believer is a necessary part of the body of Christ. Paul takes the challenge. He takes the objection. I'm really not part of this. I'm really not useful. And he says that is not true. Every believer is a necessary part of the body of Christ. And he's going to start using this analogy, and he's going to call some of us a foot and some of us a hand and some of us an eye. And before we read that and think about the text, I want to ask this question. How are we different? So what does it mean that some of us are a foot, some of us are a hand, some of us are an eye, some of us are an ear? What does that actually mean? Well, he's addressing the differences that we have, and I will give you three categories of those differences. I don't, I don't think this is all the different ways that you will find yourself, um, that find variety in the church, but I believe that it's some of the ways. So number one is simply your personality. It's how you're wired. That is a difference. It's just some of us are wired a certain way. Some of us are wired a different way. We each have a unique personality how we interact with people, how we interact with the world. We're just, we're different in how we approach things, how we talk, how we look at relationships. We're wired differently. We also have different talents. Some of us are good at one thing. Some of us are good at something totally different. That is all stuff I would call common grace. Whether you are a, a, a person's a believer or not, they're created in the image of God, and every person created in the image of God, there are certain talents that they have, there are certain personalities that they have, and when you put us together in the church, we're different. The second category I would say that makes us different is our experiences. You are shaped by your experiences. You are shaped by what's happened to you. You are shaped by what you've done. You're shaped by where you've been. Your perspective is shaped by so many things, and not everybody in this church that you're a part of has had those same experiences. Therefore, they will sometimes see things differently than you do. We're different in that way. And the third category is your spiritual gifts. When you become a believer, the Bible says you are gifted spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are no exceptions to that. There are no objections to that. If you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. You may have many spiritual gifts. And and they are different. Paul had actually just touched on this in verse 7. And we're going to come back in this series. As a matter of fact, we have two sermons planned for spiritual gifts. And Sam's going to teach one. I'm going to teach one, Lord willing. But verse 7 in this passage says, To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each believer is given a manifestation of God's Spirit for the common good. That means we're all different in that we all have different manifestations of God's Spirit. God's presence, His person, is manifested in each believer. 
And it's made manifest in different ways for the common good. So we're different. Some of us a foot, some of us an eye, some of us a hand, some of us an ear. But we are one. So let's see what Paul says. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So Paul says, some people are feet. I'm not going to point anybody out. It's going to say that's what he says. Some of you are feet. And some of you are going to look at a hand and you're going to go, that's a much more useful part of the body. I wish I was a hand. If I was a hand, people would respect me more. If I was a hand, I would be more prominent. If I was a hand, I could serve God better. I could give Him more glory. But I'm just a stinky old foot. So you know what? I'm not really part of the body. And Paul says... It doesn't matter if you think that way or not. You're still part of the body. He says, some of you, is, you're going to say, you're, you're, you're an ear. You're going to go, I wish I was an eye. If I was an eye, it'd be a lot more useful. People would love me more if I was an eye. If I was an eye, I could see better, figure things out. I'm just an ear. I'm not really part of the body. Paul says, no, just because you say that, just because you think that, doesn't make you any less part of the body. You are still part of it, because remember that picture. You've been made into the body. You are a part of the body. And then he says, look, if everybody were an eye, how are we going to hear? If everybody's a foot, how how are we going to grab things? If everybody's a hand, how are we going to walk? In other words, every part has a function. You picture us if we were just eyes? I mean, that's not that's, that's either silly or grotesque. If we're just eyeballs and we're rolling around the earth, like, it's, it's completely insane. So if we're all preachers, what's the point? If we're all people with discernment, how are we going to function if we don't have knowledge or understanding or hospitality? If we're all evangelists, how's the body going to disciple people? If we all have the exact same personality and likes and dislikes, how are we going to learn and grow? That's the picture. Every person's a part of the body. Every person is an important part of the body. If we were all just alike, the body would make no sense. So you go back to this challenge for a moment. The challenge is sometimes you compare yourself to others and you think, I'm useless because I'm not what they are. I'm I'm not going to be able to reach as many people because I don't have the gifts they have and the personality they have. and I'm not good at those things like they are. I'm not really part of the body. So what do we do when we think that way? We just shrink back. Sometimes we don't go to church at all. Or if we do go to church, we just come in and just we're not going to engage. I'm just here to receive something because I'm not really part of this body. And Paul says this, if you compare yourself to other people and you conclude you're useless, your conclusion is wrong. If you have concluded you are useless to the body of Christ for whatever reason, your conclusion is wrong. And you will never move forward in fellowship until you start agreeing with what God has said. You will never move forward in fellowship in the church until you stop listening to your conclusion and start listening and believing what God has told you. You are important to the body of Christ no matter how you feel. 
That's what Paul is saying. He, he's going to double down on this. Look at verse 18. He says, as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as He wanted. So in your notes, God has uniquely designed and placed each believer in the church. God has uniquely designed and placed each believer in the church. Now when we talk about the church there, I want you to think about, yes, the universal church, but I also want you to think about the local church. So if you're a visitor and you have a home church, think about your church if you belong here to Agape, the majority of you do, think about Agape in the place that He has put you. God has designed you and placed you here for a purpose. That is what Paul is saying. God has arranged, that means He has placed or set out, each one of the parts of the body just as He chose, just as He wanted. You are who you are in so many ways because God has chosen you to be that way. God has shaped you to be a certain way with a certain personality and certain giftings. And then He has placed you where He wants you to be not just for your good, but for the good of that church. This is far from you looking around and saying, well, I'm useless. Paul says, you're not useless. God has designed you and put you where you are for that place, for His purposes. His arrangement gives purpose to each part. That's the whole picture. You are not part of this church by accident. You, you can tell me your story about how you got here. You were invited or you f found it or you stumbled across it or whatever. And, and yes, you can point to the people that invited you or you can point to the, the post you saw, however you ended up here. But it was ultimately not those things. It was ultimately God working through those things. That's what Paul is saying. He, he's telling that to the church in Corinth and he's telling that to Agape. You have been designed and placed in the church He has put you for a purpose, for a reason. John Piper, talking about this text, he said, Every person in the body of Christ is designed in a unique way to manifest something of the Spirit of God that no one else can. There are gifts that you have. There are manifestations of the Spirit that you have that nobody else has. Which means, if you tell yourself, I'm useless, and you don't serve, the body is missing those gifts. It's missing what it needs to be healthy. That's what Paul is teaching us. If we say we're useless, we're saying no to God. If we say, well, you know what, I may not be useless, but I really don't like how I'm designed. I would have rather been a hand then we're not really trusting God in His sovereign care for us. We're saying He could have done it better. We're saying He should have done it a different way. Trusting God is trusting how He's made you and designed you to be and knowing that He has a purpose for you in that. And one more thing that Paul tells us in verse 19 and 20 in your notes, diversity makes the body healthy. Diversity is not something for us to run from. It actually makes the body healthy. So look at verse 19 and 20. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. He's kind of repeating himself, but that's for emphasis. All right, we sometimes don't like diversity because we'd rather just be with people like us. Whatever that way that works itself out, it'd just be easier, be better, and just be with people who are like me. And sometimes we, we come to a place saying, well, you know, we should be more diverse. We should, I should have more diverse friends or we should have more diversity in the church, but then we kind of come up with this reason of, of why that should be that isn't the foundational reason. Some churches seek diversity so they can just say, we're a church of diversity. Like, wave that around like a flag to be proud of. But here's what Paul is saying. You need diversity to be healthy. If everybody's just alike and everybody has the same function, 
then the church is not as healthy. The church will be healthier when the different parts of the body are working properly. If the body is exactly the same, you're going to be deficient and you're not going to be able to grow. So hold your place there. If you have a Bible, go over real quick to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to go right back to 1 Corinthians 12. But I just want you to see this one verse in Ephesians 4, also written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. Look at verse 16 in Ephesians 4. From Him, the whole body, talking about the body of Christ, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, so just think of that exactly what we're talking about, we're brought together in the body, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up up in love by the proper working of each individual part. How does the church grow? It's not because David preaches better. It's not because we live stream. It's not because we come up with great programs in the community. How does the church grow, both in its health and in its number? We grow by the proper working of each individual part. When every part of the church is functioning as God has designed it, healthy, functioning as it should, then the church is being built up and it grows in love and it will, according to the New Testament and the testimony we see there, it will grow in number as more people are being reached. It's not about just the leaders of the church being really good leaders. It's about the whole church, every person operating as God has designed them. That's how the church is built up. So diversity makes the body healthy. Now, there's a second challenge. So the first challenge is you look around, you see people, you compare yourself to them, and you say, you know what, I'm really not part of the body because I'm not like them. Paul has just said that is absolutely not true. Every part of the body is necessary. God has designed you and placed you exactly where He wants you to be. And the church, the body will only be healthy if you function the way He has designed you to function. But here's the second challenge. The second challenge is that you're part of the body and you overlook other parts. Because you think other parts of the body are weaker and unnecessary. And so you overlook them. And here's how Paul addresses that in your notes. He addresses that with the truth. Each believer has a need for the other parts of the body of Christ. Each believer has a need for the other parts of the body of Christ. So if you're someone who... Your, your, your issue really isn't that you don't see how you fit in. The issue really isn't that you don't think that, that you're useless, but if you're honest, you kind of think that other people are useless. You, you kind of look around and, and, and you don't see how every person is necessary and needed. You see some people and you think, well, they're weak and they got problems and challenges and, and I, I just, you know, I'm not interested in them being here. I'm not going to go out of my way to try to talk to them. I'm not going to try to help them because, I, you know, it's really not important. And we wouldn't say that out loud, but we do it by our actions. We show that by the way we live. Paul says, no, every believer has a need. You have a need for every other part of the church. Which again goes back to why we can't live individualistic Christian lives. Because we need the other parts. So look at verse 21 and 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker, or in the ESV it says seem weaker, are indispensable. What makes you overlook someone? What makes you overlook someone in the church and not really see them as part of the church, a necessary part of the church? I, I'll put it this way. If one Sunday you were like, oh, I heard David's not going to be there. Sam's not going to be there. Kevin's not going to be there. In your mind, you're like, oh, that's a big deal. I wonder who's filling in. wonder if it's worth going. Now, you might say, oh, I'm definitely going if they're not going to be there. So, I don't think too highly of myself. Okay, what if 
this person over in the back corner, there's no one there, so don't look. Well, Terry's there, but I'm not pointing him out, so sorry, Terry. Uh, way in the back corner, what if you heard that person going to be there? Would you even bat an eye? What, what makes you overlook someone? Because they seem weaker? They're different? They don't really meet my preferences? Our personalities don't really get along. They have gifts. I don't really understand them. They're going to start some of that prophecy talk. Might break out in tongues. I won't be around that. I need a preacher. I don't really need a worship leader. Or, I need a worship leader. I don't really need a preacher. I need a preacher. I don't need an encourager. I need an encourager. I don't really need a preacher makes a difference about what you attend. What parts of the service are more important to you that you listen to and pay attention to more than others? What gatherings you go to? What gatherings you don't? You do those things based on what you think is important. I do those things based on what I think is important. We prioritize and go and join in to the things and with the people that we see as important. And so Paul says you need to be very careful because you're going to overlook some people and you're going to think they're not that important. You're going to overlook some gifts and some gatherings because you're going to think they're not that important. Look at verse 23 and 24. He says those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying there are certain parts of our body which are not as prominent as other parts, but we still treat them with honor. We show them great respect. We clothe them out of respect. And likewise, there are parts of the body of Christ that we would consider less prominent, less important, but God has designed the church in such a way as to give honor to those parts. The ones we would overlook, God is seeking to give honor to. I didn't do this on purpose, but in your notes today, in the handout, I put about our intercessors ministry. I've been trying to, to talk about the different ministries in our church and joining with those things. If you're in the, the ministry of intercession, it's a ministry that's praying for people every day. That's the goal. And if you were to join with that ministry, that's, that's how you're serving the body. Nobody is going to know you do that. It's behind the scenes. It's quiet. You know what? That's just as important as what I'm doing. I'm getting some of my reward right now. Being a preacher, being a lead pastor in our church, I'm getting some of my reward with some of the respect and, and, and prominence that comes with that. Greater honor, greater reward will go to people who are serving in ways that no one will ever know about. That's how God has designed that. You might regard someone as less important, but they are indispensable in the church. I told you at the beginning of the series, I was going to be transparent and raw at times. And I want to do that here. In all of our lives, we give priority to the things that we think matter. Sometimes, sometimes we don't put priority on gathering with the church. Sometimes we don't put priority with gathering with other Christians in small groups because we just don't really think we need it. And they don't need us. Now look, we're, there are going to be times we're not going to be able to go to things. We're not going to be able to show up to every gathering, every service and things like that. There's going to be circumstances that are going to keep us from it. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it's just how we prioritize our time. We make ourselves so busy six days a week we're too tired on Sunday. We stay up so late on Saturday night we can't get there on Sunday we got too many things going on, too many priorities, too many hobbies. We can't go to a small group. 
We can't serve. And if we really are honest with ourselves, it comes down to, I don't see it as that important. I don't really think I need those people, and I don't think they need me. And Paul is challenging that notion. One more in your notes. In caring for the church, you're caring for yourself. In caring for the church, you're caring for yourself. Look at verse 25. So that, going back to, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. God has designed this. He's designed it the way He has. He wants us to give honor even to those we would consider less honorable. He wants us to see the need that we have for each other and for worship and for gatherings and small groups. He wants us to see all of those things and understand it's not just so there's not division. God's goal isn't simply that none of us are, are fighting. He actually wants us to care for each other. He actually wants us to have concern for one another. I want you to do something, okay? It's going to be a little silly, but I actually want you to do it. I'm going to give you like 20 seconds. I want you to look around. People behind you and people beside you. I want you to make eye contact with them all the way around. Keep going. I want it to be awkward. I want you to give people a head nod. I want you to kind of wave at them, all right? All right, now you can stop. People you made eye contact with and you just acknowledged the Spirit of God is in them if they're a believer and you need them. You need the manifestation of the Spirit for your own health. I, I care if Scott is spiritually healthy. And I, I can say, well, I care if Scott's spiritually healthy because I, I love him and I want him to be a good dad and a good husband and a good, you know, good worker. But you know, what the Bible is saying is I should care that Scott is healthy because if Scott's not healthy, then this church is not healthy. And Scott has a role to play in my life to help me spiritually. So if, if he's not healthy, then ultimately I may not be healthy. If one part of your body is sick, you don't just say, ah, it's just one part, I got a bunch more. It impacts your whole body. So when you care for one another, you are caring for unique parts of the church that you need. That you need. As well as other people need. So if you tear each other down, if you overlook one another, you are overlooking and tearing down parts of the body that you need. But if you build these people up and you build your church up, you are caring for them and you will be stronger. If you prioritize being with the church and fellowshipping with other Christians and worshiping with them, then the whole church is healthier because of it. If one member suffers, verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you walking through your living room and you stub your pinky toe, you don't just keep going and say, ah, it'll catch up. No, you, you, will, you will crumple to the ground in a heap. Why? Because when that toe hurts, your whole body hurts. If you get an award for achievement one day, it's not just a part of your body that gets the award. They don't just give it to your hand. Your whole body gets the award for the achievement. And Paul says, okay, that's the same with the church. We should be so closely knit that when one of us is hurting and suffering, we're all suffering. We're all hurting. We should be so closely knit that when one of us is honored and rejoicing, we should all be rejoicing together. Because we are different, but we're one. So, the summary today in your notes. I told you that each week this life truth would be the summary of the message and it is today, but it's also a summary of the whole, uh, the first three weeks in this series. The foundation that we've been building. So you've heard some of these things before, but we're saying them again for the sake of remembrance. Each true believer 
is received into an eternal fellowship, grafted into the vine, placed into the body by the Spirit. I'm giving you both illustrations of the fellowship that we've looked at. Grafted into the vine, placed into the body. That happens by the Spirit of God when you are saved. Each believer is then cared for by the Father, and they receive spiritual life from the Son. You're either a branch in the vine, or you're a part of the body. Christ is the head. Christ is the vine. He gives spiritual life. Those two lines are the picture of fellowship that we've been talking about, that we're supposed to live in together. They are all different, yet they are one in Christ, talking about us, the believers. They are all different, yet they are one in Christ. Paul's there. The body is not comprised of independent parts functioning the way they want for their own cause. If you have a body part that goes rogue, your whole body is going to suffer because of that. We are different, just like the parts of our body are different, but we are dependent on one another, just like all the parts of our body are dependent on one another, or dependent on each other. You are necessary to the body, and everybody around you is necessary to you. A church is healthy only to the degree that every believer is functioning properly. And then the last line. Every New Testament instruction to the family of God is based on this picture. That's what I want you to know is why we've spent three weeks on this. From this point on, every sermon in this series that gives instructions to the church, it's based on this. Why love each other? Why forgive each other? Why bear with one another? Why serve one another? Why meet one another's needs? Why sell your possessions to help someone who doesn't have something in the church? Why care for each other? Why stick together and persevere together? Why? Because of this. Because we're joined together by the Spirit in the vine, in the body. And we're each apart and we need to function properly so the whole church is healthy. Every instruction will be based on this picture.